Hey everybody, Brandon Lewis here. Hopefully, if technology does what I hope it will do, we'll be joined in just a few moments with our special guest, Gary Umble. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about what actually happened with Senate Bill 187. And Gary's going to be talking about really how the sausage was made behind the scenes. Gary, you're here. Can we hear you? Holy cow. Am I, He's here. Am I here? I even hear audio. <laughs> That's amazing. That was quite a feat. <laughs> Guys, I want to welcome Gary Umble of Tennessee Stands. He's been fighting very hard to protect our freedoms and to hold uh, Republicans accountable for being moderately conservative. Not even like zealously conservative, just moderately. It's a little bit, you know, just a little bit of conservatism. I mean, like if if this yeah. if this tumbler were conservatism, all we need from our representatives is about this much, but we can't get that much. <laughs> they take a dropper out and they just drop a couple a couple of drops. Yeah, Instead of three quarter empty, we're just trying to get one quarter full. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, Gary, talk a little bit. I know, I think there was a little bit of uh, premature celebration uh, with the staff and people that follow the Tennessee Conservative News about what we thought happened <laughs> with Senate yeah. Bill 187. And you had the, um, and I'd like to just take my hat off to you here, um, if I had one on, the imaginary hat, that you had the guts to come on and, and tell everyone, hey, we, we thought this was a we thought this was a a, a hit a, a hit to third and we're rounding home and it, it turned out to basically be a, a, a good solid base hit to first base. Yeah. But explain what happened with the chicanery with the uh, hospital association, with the medical association, all these packs that that give all this money uh, to these to these state legislatures, uh, legislators and 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 reps, and how you think it influenced things, and what we ultimately ended up with, Gary. Yeah, we celebrated based on what we thought we knew. It was interesting. Um, you know, you had you have basically what happened was an amendment to the amendment to the amendment, right? You had an amendment show up that no one had seen before, including Senate Janet, Senator Janice Bowling, the the bill sponsor. Um, and then, you know, they pull her back into this cloakroom. They're writing all this stuff. Well, she comes out and she's, you know, thinking, I guess, in her mind, I mean, I'll, I'll just give her some cover. You know, she's not an attorney. And uh, mm -hmm. they, they put, you know, you can read this amendment. They put so much wonky, the way they word it, all the subsections they added, it's, it's quite confusing. You have to really know what you're looking for to dig through the details. But um, at the end of the day, the phrase religious exemption and rights of conscience is in there. The problem is they've redefined it to only apply to COVID. Okay, mm. so so you have a constitutional a constitutional right of conscience to a religious exemption for a medical treatment or a vaccine um, only if it's for COVID. If it's for any other disease known to mankind, uh, well, you don't necessarily have a religious exemption. I, I was actually talking to someone a minute ago just just to give a practical application. And, and it's um, and actually, yeah, the school is the best place to do this. Let's just think about the, the Title 49, the school code for a minute. Um, hang on a minute. I'm going to plug in my phone because it's about to die. We're about to have some more technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm plugged in. Got full power. All right. So, so, for example, in Title 49, we have religious exemptions to vaccine in schools. Okay. And in Title 49 the um, General Assembly has defined 
uh, a set of vaccines required for school children in public schools. However, there's a religious exemption. The problem with that code that we were working to fix is that it says in the app, it, it's only applicable in the absence of an epidemic or the immediate threat of an epidemic, which means currently if there's an epidemic, if, if the commit and it and it's vague as to who can determine what the if, if there's an epidemic. Mm -hmm. But let's just say um, Commissioner of Health Lisa Pearson says there's an epidemic for X disease and the General Assembly or the school board decides that you have to get vaccinated. Well, the way our current law is written, your, your religious exemption goes away because there's an epidemic. And now the school system can force you to have a vaccine or remove your child from, you, you no longer have access to the public school system, which by wow. the way is, is unconstitutional because the constitution actually puts a duty on our general assembly to provide a free and public school system to the citizens of Tennessee. So that, that's even another, another level of complication regarding the constitution of this law. So let me get to the point. What the bill, what the bill's intention was, was to strike that epidemic language. Quite simple. So that um, you have a religious exemption all the time, no matter what's going on, no matter who says that there's an epidemic or this is really bad and you don't deserve a religious exemption anymore. We were looking to fix that. Well, what they did in this amendment they struck the epidemic language. Great. But then they put it back in and redefined the epidemic language to only apply to SARS-CoV-2, to COVID-19. Now, let me, so let me tell you the application of what that means. Now it means if Lisa Piercy says um, we have an upcut, we don't know when, <laughs> but we have an upcoming threat of some type of influenza all right well the school's gonna say can now say well your religious exemption is only secured if the epidemic is for covid since the epidemic is for another strain of the flu we're going to deny your religious exemption your student is now required to take this vaccine and if you refuse your student must exit the free and public constitutionally secured school system Mm. Well, and talk a little bit about the players involved with this, because I think that is, to me, one of the more interesting portions of this. So Janice Bowling, in good faith, walks into a committee. Yeah. And then another senator who apologizes for not bringing the amendment to her attention, which to me <laughs> sounds like a lie. That's, that's, um, that's politician. At, at best, a lie. Uh, well, at worst, a lie. At best, very inconsiderate of all the people who have worked hard to get this bill to where it needs to get in concert with what really perplexes, doesn't perplex me, I guess it reinforces what I've always thought. Two or three, you know, PACs slash associations, all of which who are tied into the government. Okay. Hospitals get all kinds of subsidies and funding, and they always want to uh, put other medical providers at a disadvantage in their area, which is historically what they've done. Right. Along with the medical association, which is constantly making money off of legislation one way or the other. Right. And so you've got all these these government and quasi-government entities getting together to spring this amendment last minute in committee, 
Talk about who the players were and how that came about. Yeah, so you had the University of Tennessee that was that was involved this time because they had a concern regarding higher education. And if this bill passed as written, they wouldn't be able to, uh, which they're a state agency, by the way, so they shouldn't be able to mandate anything. Nonetheless, uh, they were they were concerned about their teaching hospitals, that they would not be able to mandate the vaccine uh, to resident students, uh, doc, you know, doctors that were that were in residency in the teaching hospital. So that was the University of Tennessee's concern. Then you had the Tennessee Medical Association, the Tennessee Hospital Association. I believe you had a representative from uh, Vanderbilt there and possibly one or two other attorneys. You had about five attorneys that were just like hovering over Janice Bowling, scribbling, writing, I mean, rewriting. I mean, it was and then you got the legislative attorney, you know, from the General Assembly trying to make sense of it all. Well, uh, and then it, the thing that was really cool is Daryl Hale. Is that his name? I'm sorry. Daryl Hale. Daryl Hale is the one. So if you're in Daryl Hale's district and you'd like Farrell, to reach out. Farrell Hale. Farrell. Well, more like a feral rhino <laughs> is really probably more of what he's like. But at any rate, and I've, as I've been doing my research, talking to legislators across Tennessee, it, it's beginning to become obvious that, that Farrell is, is, is perhaps not a conservative or a Republican. And that's just, just what I'm hearing. But it, gets, but it gets even worse. Let's listen to one of these arguments. This was one of the arguments that the ten, that the attorney from the Tennessee Hospital Association made. He questioned, "Well, well, what about the what about the rights of the what about the rights of the hospitals to mandate the vaccine? We're trying to secure individual liberties for people. What about the rights of the hospital? Stick with me for a moment. We're we're talking about in in particular. He was there to address hospitals." who are state agencies, because he was concerned about the fact that this bill would not allow the state to mandate the COVID vaccine. And apparently we have about 40, uh, 40 or 45 hospital slash medical facilities that in rural counties that are actually state agencies. They're not private hospitals. They're, they're, they're promulgated by the state by private act. They're, they're financed and run by the states. They are a, they are the government. All right. Mm -hmm. So, so make that connection when he says the hospitals, he's, he's saying the government. We have to protect the hospitals, the government's right. Right. Let me let me tell you what, what, a, what a government or a state or a state agency doesn't have. Rights. No. People have rights. Government agencies have powers and duties that have been assigned to them by the people, by the Constitution, and by state statute. That's all they have. They don't have rights. And in fact, the state's responsibility is to secure the rights of the people. So this, we're, we literally were having an argument about the rights of a government entity. Do you understand what we were talking well, about? And then you watched Farrell bring this thing, and Janice started asking him some questions. He couldn't answer any of them because guess what? He's just shuffling the paper for the packs that gave him the money. They walk in his office. They give you right. five grand. We've given you fifteen grand. We've given you twenty grand. So you don't yep. so you sit on your lazy. You know here's what? Here's five and, grand and here's an amendment. Yeah, here's five grand and here's an amendment. And um, that's how this stuff works. And I used to be a professional fundraiser for years. I wrote the book on it, how to raise money for political office. I can almost take a look at somebody's financial disclosures and read them like tea leaves. I know where, where people are going to vote. And he couldn't even answer Janice's questions. 
on the amendment because he, he really didn't probably have any any passionate feeling about it one way or the other as much as he was just carrying the water for the folks that had given him money. And yeah. um, that's what happens in politics when these guys won't get off their duff and raise money in their districts. There wouldn't be this conflict, but laziness is pervasive and the devil isn't lazy. And so you end up with these situations where people vote against their districts and the, and the will of, of the people that elected them just for the sake of campaign fundraising expediency or so it appears because he couldn't tell anybody what was in the bill. He said, is there some lawyer here? Is there somebody who told me how to vote? Who's the person that told me how to vote? Can the person who told me how to vote please show up over here and tell this lady what this this is that I'm proposing because I don't know what the hell it is. Yeah. And that's what it sounded like to me. Uh, so continue on with what we're actually left with. And is there any time in this session or, or before they wrap up to, to see any movement on this? They, they are working so hard to, to, to close committees right now. Uh, so, so here's what's going to happen. Look, we, we have a bill, like I said in my, in my other video, uh, we have a bill that right now that does almost nothing. It, I've said this about HB 13 in the past, uh, love Representative Halsey, nothing against the bill. Just the fact is the fact that we, we were passing a bill that says the state can't mandate the COVID vaccine. It just doesn't have a function in law right now. That's just the truth because under the emergency use authorization, the state can't mandate it right now to begin with. So once the vaccine is actually FDA approved, then this bill will actually function in law. But right now, we're passing a bill that's kind of had that sort of has a moot a mootness attached to it. So that's that's one thing that it does. It does nothing. The second but, thing that it does. But you did strike an old 1905 law, which I was right. glad to see go because it yes. could have already gone in the House. Striking and, that law. Regarding the Class C misdemeanor, not if you didn't take a vaccine per the Board of Health, uh, that is the only. It's one sentence. It's this much of the bill, and it is the only part of the bill that will have a function in law when it passes. The other three pages have no function. We we secured a religious exemption only for only if only in an epidemic and only if the epidemic is COVID. That, that's it. Well, and that's, again, that's, that's what passes for Republican conservatism uh, up there at the House. And people have to realize, and at the Senate, you just got to realize how much influence these lobbyists who cut checks. I mean, it's, it's a lot of influence that is very cheaply purchased. Yep. It is a lot of influence that is very cheaply purchased. It, it look, does if I was in office, if I was one of these people, I'd just say, look, you give me your money. I'll take your check. Just, just so you know you're not getting anything for it. Like, Thank you for your thousand dollars. I appreciate it. You're getting nothing. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's amazing. So talk a little bit about what, what you think next action steps are. Yeah, what so what do we do to continue this? And, and there are other fights to be had out there uh, unrelated to, to just specifically this. Now, you, you had to, you've got a limited uh, amount of time and energy as an organization. You got to focus, you got to get something across the finish line, and you did. Uh, and we can come back at it again. And every time somebody votes against this stuff uh, through news and through activism, we have to make these people that are rhinos pay a, a political price. So talk about, you know, what do you think next actions are as, as, as you know, and how long is it till they get back in session? What can we do between now and then, et cetera? I'll tell you what to expect on this bill. And then I have a little bit of breaking news for you, actually. Very good. I'd love to have some breaking news. <laughs> Some exclusive breaking news on the Tennessee Conservative. All right, so 
Regarding SB 187, what you can expect is it will probably pass on the Senate floor um, overwhelmingly, probably. Why? Because it doesn't do anything. And then it's going to go to the, it's going to go back to the House Health Committee. Um, and let's just face it, this bill that the Health Committee in the House kicked the can, this bill already does more, even though it does nothing, it already does more than the House was willing to do. So at, the, at most, you can expect the House to pass it as is. I wouldn't be shocked if they didn't even pass it out of committee. I wouldn't be shocked if they made it more, if they made it do more nothing than the nothing that it already does. So that, those are my expectations right now for SB 187, unfortunately. And there's nothing else to do about it this year. So I'll move on to the next thing. Okay. I think so many of your viewers most likely are hearing about these vaccine passports and are concerned about vaccine passports. And we, and, and I'm telling you, they are coming to Tennessee like a freight train. And we have other uh, elected officials across the country that are addressing the issue. Dan Crenshaw of Texas um, is, is, is turning some activity to respond to the Biden administration and their push for these passports. Ron DeSantis has already yeah. stood up and made, made a declaration that he was going to execute an executive order, and he challenged the Florida legislature to do something about it right now regarding not only the state, but private entities. He's, this is in his news conference. He, he said clearly that this is not just about discrimination from the state. We cannot allow this kind of discrimination to take place in private entities. That came out of Ron DeSantis's mouth which is a huge issue that I've been fighting here in Tennessee. So we have a bill, SB 320, HB 794, that purported to do two primary things. It would have made it discriminatory for a business, a private business, to require you to wear a mask for good in, in, in exchange for goods and services. But it would also have made it discriminatory for anyone to require a vaccine to receive goods and services or for entry or to require the use of a vaccine, um, to require proof of your vaccination status by printed certificate, by software, or by digital means. So my bill is the only bill that I know of in the United States that is currently in a legislature that puts a stop to vaccine passports today. And I have been knocking on legislators' doors that we have to pass this legislation. Here's what happened. SB 320 was supposed to be heard last week. Senator Joey Hensley is running the bill. Was it last week or was it Tuesday? Sorry, I think this was Tuesday of this week. <laughs> I'm I don't even remember anymore. Um, I think it was Tuesday. And I sat in committee for two hours waiting for the bill to be called up. I was supposed to testify on the bill. He gets up. And he rolls the bill to next week. I had no idea that that was going to happen. I have been lobbying this bill. I, I, I feel to this day that we had the votes in committee to pass the bill. We get out, and I asked Senator Hensley, what the hell happened? He said, well, I had a conversation with the Tennessee Hospital Association. <laughs> and, wow. You know, we, we just feel like we needed to roll the bill and they were going to testify against the bill. And I just feel like if we can get to a place where they're not going to testify against the bill, that would just put us in a better position. Okay. So then 
I get an email 15 minutes later from Representative Susan Lynn, who's carrying the bill in the House. It was supposed to go into committee on Wednesday, two days ago. She says she's now rolling the bill because she wants to see what the Senate's going to do. But here's where it gets really, really mucked up because what she didn't tell me, she said she was rolling the bill. But what she didn't tell me is that this Wednesday was the last day the committee was meeting. It's the last day. <laughs> so guess what rolling the bill meant? Not to next week, to 2022. So my two bill sponsors just bowed down and took a knee to the Tennessee Hospital Association. They won't even return my calls anymore. And now we've got the only bill that would fight vaccine passports. Now it's not going to be heard until 2022. So for your viewers right now, mm -hmm. that's what that bill is now. It's not even going to get, they're not, the sponsors are not even going to run it. They're not even going to meet up. They're not even going to fight for it. They're just done with it. So here's what I did. And here's what I'm trying to do right now. This is, this is like Hail Mary pass, like the last effort. Because if we don't deal with this now, the vaccine passports will be here within months. And guess what's going to be our only recourse? An executive order from Governor Bill Lee. So good luck with that. Because mm. the legislature, once again, is not doing their job on securing constitutional liberties. They're kicking the can to the governor, who's not going to do anything either. And this is where we're left with, with conservatives in Tennessee. So my, my, my last hope, this, I, I, so I've amended SB 320 and I've taken everything out. I've made it one paragraph. All it does is it says that it's discriminatory for a place of public accommodation to require a vaccine or the proof of immunization by printed means or software or digital means for in exchange for goods and services. That's it, that's all it does. We're saying, we're simply saying in Tennessee, no vaccine requirements, no, no vaccine passports for goods and services, plain and simple. And my only recourse is to find two legislators. I've got to find someone in the Senate and the House that has a caption bill that has Title IV opened up that's willing to run that amendment, that's willing to run that bill and get it done before the session ends. And I think I've probably got about three weeks to do it. So probably not going to happen, but that's my last Hail Mary pass. But that's where we are, man. That's, that is our General Assembly in the state of Tennessee in wanting to deal with these urgent issues that are affecting us right now. Well, I'll be honest, it doesn't surprise me. Anybody who would let the governor close down churches and businesses in such a discriminatory way, anybody who would listen to him for lack, for, ban Christmas and, and not think that they might need to get off their ass and call a special session, and, and I mean, I know everybody's like, well, you're playing armchair quarterback. I was, you know, leading a protest on the Market Street Bridge back in March. I knew everything I needed to know then. And now, fast forward, everybody that, everybody that was you know, pitching a fit for their rights and their liberties back in March, all these legislators are now echo chambering it. But yeah, great, but you're 12 months late. You're 12 months late to the party here. So the, these guys have really just have shown a, a lack of backbone. And I hope that if we keep reporting on this, uh, the Tennessee Hospital Association, um, 
to the grassroots conservatives and the medical association, if, if we keep reporting on this accurately, um, we can make it to where you can take a donation from them if you want to, but people are going to know which way you're going to vote and they're going to feel like you're compromised as a legislator because these people are trying to, uh, it, it's all about control and power and, and making sure that your staff and your patients do what, what you need to do. It's corporations and the medical community and government all in bed together. Meanwhile, the grassroots constituents and the primary voters uh, that are Republicans want freedom and liberty not safety. Uh, we can manage our own safety. What would you recommend that people do that are watching this right now to be effective and, and to help? How can they reach out to your organization? How can we try one more time to, to move the ball while we still have a few minutes on the clock? Well, right now you need to connect with Tennessee at TennesseeStands.org. Uh, subscribe to our email list, follow our channels, uh, because we're always putting out action alerts and, and things that are going on. But I mean, the only thing left to do right now is I, I would encourage her just doesn't matter, I suppose, but give Representative Susan Lynn and Senator Joey Hensley a call and uh, ask them why they're not running SB 320 and, 7, and HB 794. What happened? Why did, why did they pull the bill? What was what was so terrible uh, about it that they just had to uh, to stop running it? But the other thing is, look, man, we are um, we're running out of time this session, but we're running out of time. We're just running out of time, period, for the type of state and the type of life that we want to live here in Tennessee. And one of the things I'm, I'm, that I hope we can do in this over the next year as we lead into the next legislative session, we're going to try to build tools so that it's easier for people to see um, the money flowing through these campaigns. I think that's revelatory to a lot of people that the everyday voter doesn't have the time, frankly, to do the research, but the, but the, the data's there. Actually, our state, I'll, I'm going to give whoever runs the IT department at the state of Tennessee, I just need to give them some kudos. Because let me tell you, our, our legislative website and all of the video archives and everything that's done to make public online is incredible. The, uh, the data access that we have to these, the money that runs to, the, to these campaigns, it's all there through the Secretary of State. I mean, they actually, our state actually does a phenomenal job of making this data av available. The issue is it, it takes time to get it. And once you have all of that raw data, it takes time to put it together and to chart it and to really understand what it means. So we're actually going to try to do that work so that Tennesseans have a clear picture of the money and what's going on behind the scenes in these campaigns. We, ha we have to be real strategic in voting some of these people out. Uh, we have to begin vetting new candidates to run. We have to figure out new ways to get them money to run. Uh, money that's not coming from pharma, that's not coming from all these big special interests. We have to start funding our own candidates, guys. Absolutely. If, if, if you look at some of these campaign donations, you the, the money's very little of the money comes from people like you and me. They come from all of these really huge special interest packs. And, and that's why we are where we are. We have to start electing our own candidates. We have to get really serious. You know, I mean, you hear in the church all the time when we think about tithing, you can look at someone's checkbook and see where their treasure is, right? I mean, you hear, yeah. it's the same thing in the political world. We, we have to we have to think differently about politics and campaigns and who's running them and, and where we're putting our time and our treasure. 
we, we have to rethink the importance of our engagement in the public square. So that's what I would say. We're on a mission to do that. We've got to, We've got to change the landscape around that. And we, we need some, we need some, some fresh blood and at the general assembly, it, it, it can't, we, it's, it's insanity, right? We can't keep doing the same thing and elect electing the same people and expecting different results. These are not conservatives. Well, here's what I'll do. If you put a bunch of candidates, two things I'd like to do, and I don't know when I'll be able to do it. Number one, I would like to put together a fundraising clinic uh, for anybody that's elected or wants to run, because one of the biggest issues that I found, and I used to teach people how to do this, the reason they have to take that, that special interest money is because they don't know how to raise money or they're unwilling to put the effort into it. So if you get candidates or, or people that are conservative in the room, I'm happy to, to give them resources, get together and teach them how to raise money. Give them a we can partner on that. That's great. Teach teach them whatever they need to know because money is the biggest issue in politics, and it's why we're so outgunned. Uh, and it, it it's not only the money that it takes to to run a campaign effectively; it's the time and energy it takes to make sense of the convoluted legal process. And a lot of our state legislatures uh, do not have either, and so they they rely on the lobbyists to tell them what to do, and then they rely on the the PACs that direct the lobbyists to give them the money to run. And when somebody's feeding you both all the information and all your money, it's very difficult to, to stand up for your district. Yeah. I mean, when they're feeding you both the information and the money, because you don't want to think and you don't want to work. If, if somebody comes in and says, hey, you don't have to think, you right. don't have to work. You just get elected once and we'll, we'll keep giving you the money. We'll keep giving you the information. Yeah. Uh, it makes it difficult for people to, uh, to do anything different. Well, bud, uh, TennesseeStands.org. Uh, it looks like Jason's on here as well, and he has typed that in in the comments section. You can go there and get on Gary's uh, email alerts and uh, also go to his Facebook page, Tennessee Stands, if you haven't already, because they really are standing in the breach on a lot of this stuff. And I'm sure there's a lot more that Gary would like to do. So while you're over there, hit the donate button, uh, contribute to their organization so that they can um, help continue their mission. Is there anything else you want to share with folks uh, before you hop off? Man, I probably said enough. I'm going to be in so much trouble after this episode. That's all right. Well, you know, you have to call it. It just amazes me that they, they can't call a spade a spade. And uh, there's there's so few people that get elected that will just go up there and represent the people. It's like they say all the right things at the Lincoln Day dinners and whenever Republicans gather together or wherever. They say all the good stuff, but then when push comes to shove, uh, when it's between their district and the special interest and the primary voter, they um, they 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 tend to side with the other side. So we've got to yeah. to continue to hold them accountable. And I believe uh, as your organization grows and as as new sources like ours grow, uh, it will get to a point where where they have to start taking more notice. Uh, so we we made an impact. I believe this first pass around, uh, we've just got to gear up for a little harder push with a little bit more resources and a few more conservatives behind us uh, for the next time all this stuff happens. Gary, thank you so yeah. much for being here, buddy. Thanks. I appreciate you. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Uh, take care, buddy.